Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome from the mostly empty land of Newsbusters in between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we hope you enjoyed your Christmas festivities. We here had a truly polar Christmas, at least compared to normal. It dipped into the teens. On the local TV, they call that bitter cold. Not for me growing up. It used to be, Mom, take us on our paper out. It's 15 below. That's what we're used to. But our old colleague Matthew Ballin tweeted, Hey, it's like Wisconsin came to you. Uh, yeah, it, it was sort of like that. It was at least chilly where you had to wear your best winter coat. No blizzard. Uh, it was a regular Christmas. You know, we, we went to church, sang some Silent Night. We made our traditional butterscotch rolls with the Jello cook and serve pudding. I got some nice dad gifts, including the Packers pulling out a win in Miami. So the top story in this slow news week is Congressman-elect George Santos, Republican of New York northern coast of Long Island. It turns out Mr. Santos made up just about everything in his campaign biography. Like almost everything turned out to be untrue. He did not graduate from college. He did not work at Goldman Sachs. He did not have an animal animal rescue charity. (laughs) Even the address listed on his voter registration was not accurate. Worse yet, some really crucial details. He, he, Mr. Openly Gay Santos had been married to a woman for five years. You know, as Jim Garrity at National Review joked, hey, in today's culture, we've somehow evolved. Now you get outed as a straight guy. He says he's gay now. On his website, though, maybe worst of all, he claimed his mother was Jewish and his grandparents escaped the Nazis during World War II. Now... You're in some perilous territory in politics when you're lying about echoes of the Holocaust. So this was one big mess. And the first question you'd ask yourself is, where was the New York Times and the other liberal papers in New York? This was not Montana or the Dakotas. This is New York City. And somehow all the local New York papers and the New York TV stations and the New York PBS channel Somehow they never dug this up. Santos ran for Congress in 2020 and they didn't dig this up. It was only after Santos was elected here that this unraveled. Now you could also say, let's blame the Republican Party in New York who didn't vet this guy either. I mean, everybody can share in the blame for not vetting this man. This was a bit of a surprise, Santos winning. Garrity says New York's 3rd Congressional District is a D plus 3 on the Cook Partisan Voting Index. And Biden carried the district in 2020, 54 to 44. So Santos winning in 22, 52 to 44. That's an upset. That was a surprise on a night where the Republicans didn't have a ton of good news. So this is why you can understand right now the Democrat media are like, 
can you believe this guy doesn't have the decency to resign so we can have a new election? Yeah, they would like to add another Democrat to their minority. You know, Morning Joe is out there quoting outrage from the New York Daily News like they have any decency. They're a nasty left-wing tabloid. Now, for me, when you start talking about somebody having the decency to resign, naturally, I go back to Bill Clinton. You know, the media never wanted Clinton to resign over sex with interns or lying under oath about sex with interns. They all expected Trump to resign after it was exposed. He made distasteful remarks about grabbing women in the crotch and they'll let you. Garrity asked if the GOP had won a bigger House majority in 2022, would Republicans feel more like that they could sort of urge Santos to step down? Or if this district was in Wyoming and represented a lock for the Republicans, no matter what, would they feel differently? But this, to me, explains why all the networks have done full stories on this. They're doing deep dives. ABC, CBS, PBS, NPR, as we mentioned, Morning Joe, CNN, everybody's on this story. And maybe that's part of it is they look anything that really embarrasses the Republican Party as a whole is what they enjoy most. And, you know, on Morning Joe, they were saying it. It's another sign of the Trumpification of the Republican Party. The Republican Party is a party of bluster and lies. This is the kind of spin they love most. So now many conservatives responded to this Santos embarrassment by noting just how many biographical lies Joe Biden has told over the years. Now, we can all quote our mothers and say two wrongs don't make a right, but it was very easy for people to make a list of Biden whoppers. He claimed he was arrested sticking up for some black folks during a civil rights march. He claimed he was arrested trying to meet Nelson Mandela in South Africa. He claimed he graduated at the top of his class and earned three degrees, no, he didn't, and he, he ended up near the bottom of his graduating class. He claimed his first job offer was from a timber company in Idaho. He claimed he spent part of his summer working as a truck driver. More recently, he's claimed his son Bo was killed in Iraq instead of died in the United States from a brain tumor, and so on. He just claimed a few days ago that he gave his uncle Frank a Purple Heart medal after he became vice president in 2009. This was so wrong that even PolitiFact and Snopes said, nope, sorry, false. Uncle Frank died in 1999, 10 years before Biden was sworn in as vice president. Nevertheless, the network, ho uh, network uh, news hosts or cable news hosts came running to Biden's defense uh, from this conservative suggestion. Chris Hayes tweeted, I think there's a line between quote-unquote normal politician BSing and con man serial lying. And he, Santos has got infractions on either side of that line. He says, I mean, it would have been a pretty big deal if it turned out Joe Biden didn't actually have a law degree. Well, at one point, it was a pretty big deal that Joe Biden totally plagiarized a British politician's speech as his own talking about his humble ancestry and being the first of his family to go to university. Well, you didn't say it that way. That would sound too British. But that ruined his first campaign for president 
1987 for the 1988 race. Um, and the pundits at the time, you can see the clips on the McLaughlin group where they say, it's terminal. Well, it may have been terminal for that campaign, but it really didn't stop Biden from continuing. And he got put back in the presidential map by Barack Obama. Now, the difference here with Santos is that Biden was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1972. So no one was going to suggest he needs to resign before his career got started. I mean, he's been telling whoppers like this for decades. And then everyone in the media puts that in the category. Oh, it's just Uncle Joe gilding the lily. You know, you could find a bunch of politicians we could talk about. We already mentioned Clinton. We could also cite Elizabeth Warren, who falsely claimed to have a Cherokee Indian background to help her get professor jobs, like at Harvard. Only the right-wingers object to that biographical mangling. Uh, PolitiFact, in fact, has never given Elizabeth Warren a truth meter rating on that. They went right around it. They did one of those careful explainers. But Elizabeth Warren's overall truth meter rating isn't disturbed. Now, in fact, as I mentioned, Obama and Biden, when Brent Bozell and I were writing our book Collusion back in 2013, we highlighted what at the time was a new book by David Marinus, an editor at the Washington Post. And this pointed out just how energetically Barack Obama made up things about his biography, his 1995 memoir, titled Dreams for My Father, even merged his girlfriends into a composite character. This mythological memoir was treated as a magic book in Obama's first presidential campaign. It was sold as an essential part of his appeal. For example, and this is two years before the general election, October 23, 2006, Cover story in Time Magazine. Joe Klein, a master Obama booster, oozed about Obama's parentage. He told the story in brilliant, painful detail in his first book, Dreams for My Father, which may be the best written memoir ever produced by an American politician. Well, actually, he told stories about his parents in brilliant, painful lies. You know, most apparently that the claim was that his his father stuck around until he was two. No, in reality, his mother left Hawaii and went back to Washington State within months of his birth. You know, so again, these were stories it shouldn't have taken until 2012 for these things to be unearthed. Obviously, they could have done some of this biographical work in 2006. Back then... Chris Matthews on MSNBC said that Obama's memoir was unique because he's a politician and not since U.S. Grant has a politician written his own book, and that is refreshing. Oh, see, everyone was a ghostwriter there, including JFK. Your heroic JFK had ghostwriters. And, of course, Matthews suggested This was somehow comparable to great literature. It's almost like Mark Twain. It's so American. It's so textured. It's so almost sounding like great fiction because it reads like us. Yes, we were especially amused by it sounds like great fiction. 
Uh, because it was, well, maybe it wasn't great fiction, but it was certainly fiction. Now, Obama in the book, in the intro to the book, actually explains to the reader that maybe this isn't the most reliable history of his life. He wrote, Although much of this book is based on contemporaneous journals or the oral histories of my family, the dialogue is necessarily an approximation of what was actually said or relayed to me. Yes, this is the Elizabeth Warren sense. Blame the oral histories of my family, not me. He acknowledged even the people weren't entirely real. For the sake of compression, some of the characters that appear are composites of people I've known, and some events appear out of precise chronology. And Obama was never dinged for this. So remember this when they're trying to say, oh, Republicans can never make up anything about their life story. Reporters should care that politicians' life stories are accurate. That should be one of those things they snoop out. But there's a double standard. Now, when you cite Biden to react to Santos, then the liberals categorize you as engaging in what they call whataboutism. I don't generally like this term. It cuts too close. Comparing political behavior and how it's evaluated by the press is what we do here at Newsbusters. Part of the charge of whataboutism is saying, well, now you're misdirecting away from an infraction by talking about someone else who did something kind of similar. I can get where you'd say you're changing the subject. How convenient. But many examples of this so-called whataboutism are a part of politics, of comparing and contrasting. Pro-Clinton Democrats engaged in a ton of whataboutism when he was president. At the beginning of the second term, when it was revealed, he raised campaign money from foreign sources in Indonesia and communist China. They tried to insist, hey, everybody does it. That was their mantra, everybody does it. And they did some apples and oranges work like, hey, the Heritage Foundation takes money from South Korea as if there's somehow no difference between a think tank and a president of the United States. We have campaign laws where, you're, you, you know, if you donate to the president, you're supposed to actually live in this country, be a citizen of this country, not the same rules for foundations. Finally, I, I find it mildly annoying when leftists get on Twitter and suggest that we as media critics have yet to make political denunciations on a timeline. Like, I see you haven't condemned Santos yet, they might write. Like, it's a great hot take. Like, the most important thing for us to do on a story is not evaluate the story, but we have to lead with, we hotly denounce George Santos' lies. Well... Okay, we're not in favor of politicians lying. But our point here is to study how Santos is covered first and not to pronounce a verdict first. We're looking at patterns. We're saying this is the hot story. What other stories are they not doing? Or notice how they're doing the story that pleases the Democrats most. Now, there is a question. Oh, okay, if Santos did resign... 
and decided to run again uh, with more pr- truth about who he is, would he win? Garrity says he might not. Garrity thinks that another Republican running in his place might not. People get angry. But, you know, many people who voted for Santos a month or two ago were just casting a vote for the Republicans, for the Republicans having a House majority. The biography was secondary, I would think, at least for a lot of people. But Santos should apologize to Republicans for not just the bald-faced lying, I mean, just to a shameless degree, but it's for offering such a big, fat target to the Democrats in the media. Now, as long as we're going to play this game of comparing media coverage, another conservative spin on Twitter is about the Bidens traveling to St. Croix in between the holidays in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, I don't have a problem with the president seeing beautiful U.S. territories. Uh, The wife and I haven't made it to St. Croix, but we we did spend a wonderful week in St. John for our anniversary a while ago. Um, it was before the, the hurricanes really took it apart. It felt sad, you know, that the island sort of has to put itself back together. Just, they're beautiful islands, great place to visit. We never got quite over much to the British Virgin Islands. Sometimes the weather will keep you from doing that too. We were supposed to take a, uh, some sort of a cruise over to the British Virgin Islands and didn't get there because the waves were so rough. Anyway... I don't like the shame game of trying to suggest how dare you go to St. Croix when there's there was a blizzard in Buffalo, you know, current death toll 34, and you're going off to St. Croix. But great tweeters like Stephen Redstees Miller are raising this, the outrage that so-called mainstream outlets had over Ted Cruz's family going to Cancun during the Texas deep freeze in February 2021. That, I mean, that caused some scary blackouts. Now, you, you can easily pick this apart if you want to be neutral, playing apples to apples. A blizzard in Buffalo, even a deadly one, is not atypical for that area. Not in the way that a deep freeze in Texas is. A senator is probably going to be held more to account for leaving his state than a president's going to be for leaving the country. I mean, Biden wasn't escaping the blizzard in Buffalo. That's not where he was. Cruz took his wife and daughters out of Texas during the deep freeze. Now, on the other hand, what could Ted Cruz do as a senator to fix power outages in Texas? He's not a governor. I mean, Perhaps a president has a little more government power at his fingertips to help dig out of a blizzard or a deep freeze. But you can compare uh, tweets here, as Red Steez did here, and look at just the difference in spin. Very energetic. Here's CNN in 2021. Senator Ted Cruz and his family flew to Cancun, Mexico as a winter disaster in his home state of Texas, left millions without power or water. Now, does that read like an objective news network or does it sound like the DNC? I pick B. Here's CNN in 2022 during the Buffalo blizzard. 
President Joe Biden this week returns to St. Croix, one of his and First Lady Jill Biden's beloved vacation spots, seeking a final opportunity for rest before what is expected to be a contentious 2023 and re-election run. Now, does that sound like an objective news outlet? Or does it sound like someone who deeply loves Joe and Jill? Now, the Associated Press, supposedly the most prestigious wire service in America, 2021, Texas Senator Ted Cruz traveled to Mexico for a family vacation as his home state struggles with a weather crisis, a source tells AP. The high-profile Republican was expected to return immediately. Yes, he was already in hot water. The networks and the wire services wanted him out of there. Not the case in 2022. The Associated Press tweets, President Joe Biden on Tuesday was headed to a place very familiar to him, the U.S. Virgin Islands, to enjoy some downtime and warmer weather and to ring in a new year with family. I mean, this you can all see the double standard. Now, we can ask also as a mental exercise. Let's imagine in 2018, Ted Cruz had lost to Beto O'Rourke. And in the middle of the deep freeze, Beto took his three kids to the islands. Can we guess just how aerobically media Democrats would have deep-sixed that narrative? This is one of those things where, again, conservative Twitter would do it, and the networks would all be like, so? They would try to pretend it didn't exist. Sort of the same way they don't want to discuss the Twitter files. Any story that's uncomfortable to them, what's said on conservative Twitter stays on conservative Twitter. I mean, we all know the kind of coverage Beto O'Rourke got when he was looking at running against Ted Cruz. Uh, I can look at this. Ben Terrace at the Washington Post in 2017 was, was penning paragraphs like this. Democrats might look at O'Rourke, a small business owner with hipster credentials, a Gen Xer who speaks fluent Spanish and looks more like a Kennedy than the Kennedys do and see a candidate of thrilling national potential, marred only by where he happens to live. But then again, maybe it's where he lives that makes him exciting. And then Terrace goes on to say, the Democrats really want Texas to be a blue state, which puts O'Rourke right where they want him. I mean, that's the kind of coverage you expect from a Washington Post or a New York Times or the Associated Press or CNN. We see this double standard all the time. Boosters for one party. Opposition researchers for the other party. Some things like George Santos. Somehow, the opposition researchers just didn't quite live up to snuff. And somehow, the Democrat staffers who send this to the media, and then the media pretends it founded it on its own, also not up to snuff. So I say... Seat Congressman Santos and let him take the heat in two years. Or let him take the heat on Fox News. If you saw Tulsi Gabbard on the Tucker Carlson show, you know, go ahead and ask him tough questions. But, it, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we got some tough questions for Democrats? This is just not the way it tends to happen in our liberal media. That's why you come to Newsbusters to see how this sausage is made. 
tastes terrible. All right. Come once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.